God could give us a clean slate as we start the new year. We're so hung up on all this stuff that is behind us. And our culture is kind of overridden with this whole thing of, well, your sin was just too great for God to forgive and for you to move on. And God's word reminds us, and the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are in a race, that we're supposed to run and keep our eyes on the goal if we're to win the race. One of the greatest races in all time was called the Miracle Mile, in which Roger Bannister and John Landry both did the mile in less than four minutes. And if you read the story in history about these two runners, you find out that the mistake that was made in the race was that Landry looked over his shoulder just for a fraction, a tiny fraction of a second, and lost. It's amazing what happens when we're always looking backwards and thinking about what happened back there or what we did in our past or the sin that so easily besets us, thinking that we can't go on and be powerful for God. And I'm here to say this this morning. God is a forgiving God. He wants us to compare ourselves with each other so that it slows us down when we're running the race. And basically what God is saying in my text for this morning is, you got to get over that. Stop looking backwards all the time. If you've come into the room this morning, you did not come by your design. I already stated that. You came because God wanted you to be here. You came because God had a divine appointment for you to have a fresh start. That's what it is. You've been wallowing in this kind of self-pity thing about the past, and you're wondering why all these things have happened to you and what, what could possibly be meant by these things. Some of you are going so fast, so rapidly backwards, you just are completely lost in a quagmire of depression and discouragement and self-blame and all this other stuff when God says, I don't know why you're looking at your sin all the time because I'm not looking at it. I've already forgiven that. Get over the past and start fresh this morning. Yeah? How about a big round of applause for God? Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know if you remember a, name, a man by the name of John Wesley, but John Wesley was walking with a, another man who was very, very troubled about life, as a lot of us are, and he expressed his doubt, this other man did, in the goodness of God. And Wesley, being the godly man that he is, thought, well, I just need to encourage this man to look at how powerful God is. And so Wesley noticed that the, as they were walking, he noticed that a cow was looking over a stone wall. And at that very moment, he said, do you know why that cow is looking over the wall? And the other man said to him, I don't even know, why would you bring that up? Why are you talking about some cow that is looking over a wall? And he said, the reason why the cow is looking over the wall is because he can't see through the wall. So you can't picture another day. You can't picture a fresh start. You're always hung up on yesterday and last year. And all these things that happened in 2018, which it wouldn't have made one ounce of difference had you worried and worried and worried over them, if God meant for it to happen, it was going to happen.
You get it? If God wants it to happen, it's going to happen. We get so hung up on that. You got to look over it when you can't see through it. It's crippling you. It's crippling us. Things are going to happen. Maybe things that we don't like. But I want you to look at my text today because I think it's a ridiculously powerful text. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of for me. That alone is powerful. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. It is time to understand that twice in these few short verses, God says that we are to press on. Not give up, not throw in the towel, not keep looking back, not argue with God as to why this thing happened way back here that you still can't get through. You have to understand that God is sovereignly in control of everything in your life. And by the way, he's a good God, isn't he? You got every reason to give thanks this morning. Some of you are like, no, I don't. You have no idea what I'm going through. Yeah, really, seriously. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back here again because I don't go to church to smile at your silliness. You don't smile ever. You can't see how good God has been to you. He has been good to you. See, worry does no good whatsoever. The dawning of a new year should bring hope, shouldn't it? It ought to bring hope. Not discouragement, not constant looking backwards, not wondering what's going to happen this year, if there's going to be more fatality in your life or whatever. It should bring hope. I read an article that was written way back in 2012 about the coming year. It's funny to look back. Remember Y2K? Way back there in 2000, the world was coming to an end. Get all the drinking bottled water you can. People had hundreds of cases of water stored. We're going to make it. What they didn't realize is that if the world really was coming to end, somebody was going to break into their house and kill them and steal it. We're so good at planning for fatality. What's going to be next in my life? We actually plan for failure because we have failed to plan. You failed to plan that God is a good God and whatever happens to me, it's going to be okay. I'm at the top of the list. I'm preaching to myself. Don't say, yeah, I know you, Pastor Gary. You get really nervous about everything, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I do. I'm talking to myself, too. So if you went back to 2012, I read this article. It was interesting. The article mentions the possible collapse of the euro, trouble in the Middle East, the rise of China, and the possibility of a global recession. It talked about the fear of Islamic fundamentalism and tensions in the Middle East. It's almost like the writer was warning us that the end was near and there was no hope for the coming year. That's 2012. It's six, weeks, six years later, and we're still here. Amen? Oh, yeah. Smile. Oh, yeah, we're still here. Things are pretty good. 
world doesn't come to an end. You're going to live another day. You're probably going to leave here and go to Wendy's. Wendy's is still going to be there. Well, have you, have you ever noticed how things just disappear one day? My wife and I were getting out at Planet Fitness, our loan time that we went in the last six months, and we're getting out of Planet Fitness, and I looked over, and there used to be an orange tree there. Orange tree is a yogurt place, you know, where they have like 20 different kinds of yogurt, and it was gone. I went over there like, oh, God, orange tree is gone. I've only had stuff in there twice, as if it's the end of the world, you know. Oh, Wow, it's so sad. Orange tree is gone. It was the most ridiculous location you could possibly place it to begin with, if you think about it. Right next to Planet Fitness. Go and work out and then pig out at Orange Tree. Isn't it crazy how life is just crazy, period? It's weird. If there's anything that I know for certain, it's that I would much prefer the hope of the future to the history of the past. Yeah, because the Apostle Paul said, do not be anxious about anything. Don't get a lot of anxiety. We have many people in the room that are just constant worry warts. You have anxiety over everything. You have these panic attacks, and they cripple you. They set you back, and you most of the time, you feel like you just can't make it. Most of us are anxious about something one writer called worry, a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. All the time, there is a fear in your mind. Worry is the interest paid by those who borrow trouble. Worry is anxiety over the future that dominates the present. Who of you, the scripture says, by worrying could add a single hour to his life? It will not matter how much you worry today, you are not going to add an hour to your life. I'm getting ready to go back to Vietnam, so it's getting closer and closer all the time. It's the first full 10 days or 12 days in, in March, and I have four other guys going with me, and I asked them what their biggest concern about going back to Vietnam was, and some of them said the plane trip. You know what I'm saying? So what did I do this week? Because I hate long distance on those planes. I, I'm always sure that we're going to go down that way. I've been to Vietnam like 30 times. A plane has not gone down yet, and I'm positive. It's because I worried about it. You know what I'm saying? I think I intervened, and the plane stayed up in the air because I was praying and sweating. And then what do I do this week? I get online, and I'm, I'm planning my trip, and I find one of those little YouTube videos where a plane leaving Florida, was headed for the Bahamas and lost both of their engines. And I'm like, why am I watching this, God? Why am I watching this? My wife asked me that last night. She said, why would you watch that video knowing you're going to be getting on a big, long plane trip again? I go, I don't know. I'm so stupid. I guess I want something to worry about. Don't you love that adrenaline that goes through your body when you're worried? It's like, oh, God, I need to worry about something today. Or I need to be mad at somebody. Just give me anybody to be mad at. It doesn't, it doesn't do one ounce of good. Matthew 6, 34 says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will actually worry about itself. There are, I just jotted down seven reasons why it's stupid to worry. Seven reasons. Number one, it wastes time that could be spent in better ways. Number two, it focuses on the problem and not the solution. Three, 
It causes us to assume responsibility that belongs to God alone. For it paralyzes us with fear. It saps our joy. It drains our energy. It keeps us sidetracked when we could be doing a whole lot better things. Do you know what God would rather have us do? He would rather have us get down on our knees and pray and wait on him and know that he is good. Is he good? It doesn't hurt you at all to say, yes, he's good. Just say, he's good. Oh, yeah, come on now. Some of you at times in a service during the worship time, you want to get up and praise God and dance, huh? You just feel like, oh, God, man, I got so much to be thankful for, right? Diane, right? Where is she? Is Diane? Oh, yeah, right there. No, that's her sister. Diane, you're somewhere. You're supposed to be yelling. Oh, okay. I should be hearing it in stereo. Okay, and then these people right in there usually dance for me. Well, your mom isn't here. Is she one of your mom? She's, oh, my goodness, can I tell? She would have never let you sit that far back. You would have been up here. You, you, seriously, she would have said, what, you, we're backsliding. Get up there. Right? I look forward to it every week. They just make me think, now you can get up and preach with a little bit of fire. Some people in the room have thrown in the towel. You have worry written all over your face. I want to just give you three simple things that I think are going to help you this morning with that whole deal of worrying. Number one is a a humble evaluation. What might actually be going on here? Because I worry, you worry about this, and you worry about that, and you worry about this thing that God already has in his control. He wants you to understand through the text this morning that he is doing this to humble you. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. That's verse 12 of the text, Philippians 3. Not that I have already obtained, not that I'm already perfect, not that I'm already there. It says to me that I ought to strive to be like Jesus and hang on tight because I'm not there yet. Paul, who was one of the most spiritual men in the Bible, wrote those words as an admonition to us. You aren't there yet, but when you get there, you will be made perfect. So hang on, baby. Yes. If that isn't something to shout about, I don't know what is. Everybody else can condemn you in the whole world. Everybody else can try to point out your sin. But God would say, just know this. Things are going to get better, aren't they? He actually said this. He said, I'm the chiefest of sinners in 1 Timothy 1.15. This is what I think Paul would be saying to us this morning. If he could walk in here, the Apostle Paul, who was in jail many times, and people like to say, well, if you've ever been to jail, you're just worthless. You're, for, you're forever forgotten. Pastor, you're worthless. You're just a worthless piece of trash. And that's what I know. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Every day is a fresh start. Every day is a new beginning. Every day is a new opportunity to change my attitude and, and don't hinge my life on the past. You came in here today. I, I, I see faces I don't know. You came in this place today because I actually pray that people will go by here and and say, you know what, that place looks weird. 
I should go in there. It looks different, different. America. <laughs> Who knows what's in there? I heard that pastor's weird. I heard that praise team is weird. The people that go there are weird. That's okay. That's okay. It's all right. God's good at picking out weird people because Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners. I think he would be saying this to us this morning if he could be here. Whenever we face a difficulty in our life, we ought to say, it is what it is. Say it with me. It is what it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. I got to decide whether I'm, I almost fell over there. <laughs> I know you think I've been drinking. I don't even drink. You, you ever go someplace to eat? We went out with a couple the other night and we don't drink and they come to, they come to your table. It was a nice restaurant. It was one of my favorite places. They sell bang, bang shrimp. You, you might know where I'm talking about because that's the best shrimp that ever hit the planet. I could eat a ton right now. So we're, we're at the table and she goes, well, can I start you out with some drinks? There's four of us, and I'm thinking to myself, she's thinking, I hope they buy drinks because my tip will be bigger. We all go, no, ice water will do. The Dutch beverage of choice. <laughs> it gets worse, actually. Then my wife says, could you bring me a separate glass of ice and 5,000 lemon? <laughs> Not only do they want free water, they want ice, dirty another glass, and 50 lemons. It's a good thing we're charging them exorbitant prices for their food. I'm positive that every girl that's a waitress has to be thinking, I hope they buy a lot because my tip's going to be bigger. If we could just get a grasp on life and realize that it is what it is, there's not a whole lot that you're going to do about some things because it is what it is. Life is like that. There are going to be trials. And I, I, I believe this because people said this about me and they'll say it about you. They just need to repent. He just needs to repent of his sin. You just need to repent before God will bless you. No, no, I, th I, th I, honestly, I honestly believe this. Truthfully, I think he's blessing you all along the way. He blessed you by sending the trouble that made you need God more. Can you handle that? He's blessing you with a background that was pretty sordid so that you could say, boy, am I desperate for you, God. I need you every hour, don't you? Don't we? He is not the condemning God that we have assumed he is. He is the loving God who says, I'll take you back no matter where you've been or where you think you're headed. I got you. Huh? My wife's going to say, it's supposed to be, I've got you. I got you. I'm rebelling. It's not, it's like Paul saying, I have not yet obtained this. I'd like to be clean. I'd like to be perfect. I'd like not to be the chiefest of sinners, but I'm not there yet. So I'm going to take what you send to me as your gift to me. How can I use this for you, God? Right? How can I use this to expand your kingdom? You see what I see sometimes. Um, he says, uh, uh, J.B. Phillips, a 
commentator on the scripture says, it's very pithy English. I do not consider myself to have arrived spiritually. I have not considered myself to have already gotten there. As you're going through life, you ought to just keep growing and growing and growing, right? You take those experiences, you respond correctly, and you grow through it, and you move right on. See, I think there's a lot of people that have become professional Christians. Yes. When we lived in a different neighborhood, I went out on a Saturday morning to wash my car. My, everybody washes their car. Nobody wants to have a dirty car. It's, dirty car is a sign of a dirty life or something in West Michigan. You've got to clean your car. That's why car washes are just exploding, you know. My neighbor was out to wash his car, and he was smoking one cigarette after another, drinking one Bud Light after another, playing, listening to WJQ Christian music. Now, maybe it's just because I'm a Baptist kid. Because, like, I, I actually chuckle when I look at even some people at our church, their Facebook accounts. They know they're free, and so they're just living it up. Just living it up because God is really not interested in whether you drink light beer or not. He loves you no matter what. Now, I know some of you are going to go home and say, the pastor said it's okay to get drunk. No, I didn't say that. No, the pastor said it's okay to drink Bud Light. No, I didn't even say that. I don't even care. My job is not to analyze what mistakes you're making or have made. My job is to just keep moving toward Christ. So I become more like him. I don't want to be a professional Christian. See, in our better moments, we know the truth about ourselves. We're not as smart as we think we are. We're not as clever as we think we are. We're not as wise as we think we are. We're not as good as we think we are. We're not as strong as we think we are. The only thing that keeps us going is this. For the sake of expediency, for the sake of expediency, I know that everything that comes in my life, God, is for a purpose. How am I going to view this now? How am I going to view this? We put some signs out by the road. Are you ready for a fresh start? A fresh start. Because his mercies are new every morning. Grab onto those mercies every morning and say, God, I need these if I'm going to make it. So he's using these things so that you can have a humble analysis of your own life and ask God, what are you trying to teach me through all this? The second thing is a disciplined determination. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Here's what's happening in the race with me all the time and probably with you too. I'm running along, and I think I'm really doing good, and I'm going to make it, and I'm going to have victory, and I'm going to stop worrying, and I'm not going to fret over this stuff. And all of a sudden, just like a bomb, it comes out of nowhere. Some kind of depression or heavy oppression comes upon me, and I don't know what to do with it. And so I keep looking back over my shoulder and thinking, there's somebody back there that's going to nail me. There's somebody back there that's going to get me. There's something back there. I read this morning, it's interesting, because I was preparing for tonight. If you have kids or teenagers specifically, 11 years old and older, I saw a movie the other night, a secular movie, but I felt very um, important that we meet with parents, watch the movie for two hours, and have a very frank discussion about what I think and I see happening to our kids through involvement in the Internet and all the media stuff that's out there. You should come. 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock tonight. 
a frank discussion in this room. As I was looking this morning, I, I saw an advertisement for a company that was encouraging you not to Google everything. Don't Google everything because Google has access to all of your history. And they want to use it to sell stuff to you. And the devil wants to use it to accuse you of what's back there. I'm ready for a fresh start. Oh, yeah. I'm ready for a fresh start. Aren't you? I'm ready for a clean slate. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Oh, yeah, because God is offering me a clean slate this very second. You know who's come into this church? People that are struggling with looking over their shoulder at the past. And I want to make sure that every one of you that comes here like that understands you can forget the past. It's over. It's history. It's forgiven. Oh, my goodness, is that powerful. You ought to have the disciplined determination to do one thing, one thing, more than anything else, press on. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't get a divorce. Don't give up on your children. Don't give up on your parents. Don't give up on this and give up on that and think you need a new job and you need a new wife and you need a new life. Those are lies. You're blessed. Yes? You are blessed. This one thing I do. This one thing I do. Not these 20 things I do. There's one thing that I do. This is what I have to do as pastor because I'm a worry ward. I'll guarantee you I'll still worry on that plane over to Vietnam. I'll be positive this is the time I'm going down. You know? This is going to be the trip you go down. No, it isn't. There's far more likelihood that I'm going to die on one of those motorcycles in Vietnam than I am on some plane trip. About a million times more chance at that. But this one thing I do is stay focused. The artist has to say it. The gifted teacher has to say it. A championship athlete has to say it. One thing I do. A single parent raising her child must say, one thing I do. A student who wants to graduate with honors must say, one thing I do. Because greatness in any arena comes to those who can say with the Apostle Paul, one thing I do. Stay focused. There was a school back in the early 1900s in the Chicago area that had a visitor by the name of Charlie Paddock. He was considered to be the fastest runner alive at that time. He went to the class to encourage these young black students that there's more to life and God has something planned for you, something powerful, something good. And he was talking to the class and he asked the question, what would you like to be? What would you like to do with your life? What is it you want? A little boy, black boy raised his hand and he said, I want to be the fastest man on the earth. Charlie Paddock actually laughed. He thought to himself, well, that's admirable. Isn't it cool when your kid comes to you and says, Pastor Gary, or to me it is, when a kid comes to me and says, Pastor Gary, I want to be a pastor someday. Or I want to be just like my dad or just like my mom because it's easy to lose focus. And so Charlie Paddock kind of laughed, and he looked at the young man, and he said, if you're going to be the fastest man on earth, there are four things 
I put these at the end of my message, but I'm going to use them right now. Four things that you need to know. You need to have these four items in your toolbox. Determination. Yeah. Dedication. Discipline. And the right attitude. Determination. Dedication. Discipline. And the right attitude. This is what I know for me. I am called to be a shepherd, a pastor, a shepherd. I want to do it until I die. I want to stay focused until I die. I've had plenty of reasons to throw in the towel, give up. I've had plenty of people say, you're not a good pastor, you're not a shepherd, you're this, that, and the other thing. And God every time comes back to me and says, stay focused. Stay focused. I love preaching. I love studying the word of God. I think it's amazing because God is alive and real. I want to stay focused. This one thing I want to do. He told this young man, he said, these are the four things that are going to help you to be the fastest man on earth. The kid went on to win four gold medals in the 1936 Berlin Olympics. His name was Jesse Owens. All because of somebody's influence in his life. And those four keys of wisdom to go on and actually make it. I want to say this to everyone in the room. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't think it's over. No, it's just begun. It's, it's just begun. Greatness will come if you'll hang on. You see, I can make it as long as I have the right attitude. I can make it. A lot of us have all these things that we want to do and we lose focus. There was a man in our church that told me a long time ago, I don't want to become my father who got sidetracked by this job and that job and this new opportunity and that new opportunity and had all these things, balls juggling in the air. And he never, made, he never got good at any of them. Please, 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 right now, take a humbling look at your life and say, what is my purpose? What am I here for? And what do I need to stay focused on? This is what I know, because people say, well, you ever think about going and doing this and going and doing that and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm, no, I, I just want to do what I do right now is be a shepherd, a pastor shepherd to other people to lead them to the power of God and the kingdom of God. That's my sincere Honest desire. Stay focused. You've lost focus. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing on this planet that is worth dying for outside of Jesus. Nothing. Forgetting what is behind. Two key phrases. Straining toward what is ahead. In Charlie Brayson Flood's book about Robert E. Lee, he tells of a time when the Civil War when Robert E. Lee visited a woman who showed him the remains of a grand old oak tree in the front of her home. And she cried bitterly that its limbs and trunk had been destroyed by the Union artillery fire. She waited for Lee to condemn the North, or at least to sympathize with her loss. And Lee paused, and then he said this. It's profound. Cut it down, my dear madam. 
and forget it. If you don't cut that tree, it's going to kill you. If you don't cut down that tree that you're harping on all the time, that bitter thing in your life, that resentful fact that lies buried in some Google account back there, if you don't cut down that tree, madam, and get on with life, you'll completely lose focus and won't feel like life is not even worth living. I want to say this. The devil has a hold of a lot of people in the room. When I was reading this morning for my own personal devotions about Mary Magdalene, I've really never studied that much about her, but I shared it with the praise band earlier this morning already. Mary Magdalene was, was, a lot of people said she was the prostitute, and a lot of commentators out there that are liberal said that she was Jesus' sex partner, which is a bunch of rotten, hellish lies. When you really look at Mary Magdalene's life, you find out this about her. She was in love with Jesus, the Savior of the world, was the first one to get to the tomb to find that it was empty and he had risen. Woo! She ran to tell other people she was so excited. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, when we lose focus, we stop talking about Jesus and start talking about our hunting and our our sports addiction and our greed and new material things we're buying in our houses and all this other garbage that has sidetracked us from the one who is worthy of all of our shouts and our praise this morning. Are you with me? This side is really dead today. Are you with me? Yes. Yes. Cut it down. You've lost focus. Guys, Tomorrow night is the best time to restart your spiritual life by coming to men's Bible study. Right here in this room, the power of God will fall fresh on you. You need to knock it off, you lazy men who sit at home and say, I don't feel like going, it's too late. I might, oh, my goodness. If I don't watch six hours of TV or play video games for five hours, I'm just going to go into some kind of coma. I'm not even kidding. It's crazy what we'll waste our time on. This week, ladies, you ought to come to morning or evening Bible study because it's going to charge you up. Fresh start, oh yeah. I'm waiting for a fresh start. I don't even need any caffeine. So, this is a good new year. What do we need to forget? Our worries, our fears, our failures, our victories, our defeats, the attacks of the enemy, the praise of our friends. The word forgetting is taken from the Greek word, which actually has two parts. Epilanthano is the word. Epi is the first part of the word, which denotes a turning away from something or 